Jesus appeared to his disciples on the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for the fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands inside. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Jesus appears to Thomas. Now Thomas, called Didymus, Didymus, was one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand in his side, I will not believe it. God bless his word this morning. Man, I've forgotten how busy Easter Sunday can be for a young family with little children. Those days have done been right by me. <laughs> so I just want to take you in my perspective from what I went through when I, me and Amy were first married and we had the kids I'm going to forget about Saturday and what all needs to be done in the pre-preparation for the preparation of the preparation but the mom and dad will wake up early on Easter morning and most traditions you've had uh, got Easter baskets for the kids and maybe the kids you want to see them wake up and either find the Easter baskets where they're at and maybe find a few eggs that you've hid around the house. You want to see the surprise on their face. After you've done that, you get them ready for church. And hopefully the Easter outfits either still fit from last year or the ones you tried on Saturday night are going to work again on Sunday morning. You put the Easter outfits on, the family runs off to church. Usually it's Sunday school class. Get the kids off to Sunday school class. Uh, Then you would have your church service. Uh, At some point you have an Easter egg hunt. And then, of course, families will take pictures while they're there at the service. Now, some of the young families have a leadership role in the church. They might teach a class or they might uh, greet or do anything they can do in the church. So that adds extra stress on the family because you also got to get that ready. When all this is done after Easter Sunday service, you whisk back home and you put the play clothes on the kids. You change your clothes. And if you're one of the ones who have families in the same area, you're in trouble. If you don't meet with one family on Saturday before and the other family on Sunday, you're really in trouble because now you have to go visit two separate families. And now you're really stressed because you're going from one place to another to try to accommodate both families. The kids are out there playing, running around, getting more Easter baskets and maybe some more eggs. And then at the end of the day of Sunday, the family comes home. All right, now we're ready. You change the kids, and you're ready for the kids to go to bed. You're ready for them to get out, and then you go sit in your chairs. Now, I'm older now, so we've graduated from me and Amy sitting on the couch to having our own chairs. You sit in your chair, I'll sit in my chair. We'll kick back, and we'll watch a little bloob tube here. So you you sit in your couch or whatever, you sit back, and most people on Easter Sunday watch what I consider to be probably one of the greatest shows ever, The Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston. 
You sit back and you watch the show, and now you're just ready to knock out for the night. Your day's complete. That's a lot of stress on a family. And I'm sure there's a lot of arguing and bickering as to who's to do what when. Do you have this under control? No, I thought you had that. Were you supposed to know to have that? Where are the children at? Well, I don't even know. We both forgot them. I believe even though it was more intense, there's a lot more riding on it. By the time Mary Magdalene went on Easter Sunday, the Bible says she went when it was still dark to the tomb. Until the end of what we read today, at the close of the first day, when Jesus met with ten of the twelve disciples, I believe they were experiencing the same feelings that a couple would have getting to Easter Sunday service. Although the feelings are more intense, more complicated, and there's a lot more going on, the feelings are still there not knowing what's happening. So I want to lay out for you, by the time Mary Magdalene went to the tomb, and by the end of the first day, because it says in the evening on the first day of the week, Jesus come and he breathed on the disciples. I want to just kind of lay out what happened between that time. Now on the board it's probably uh, written out real big and stuff. I'm just going to say the things that went on and then go from there. Christ rises from the dead early on Sunday morning. Mary Magdalene and another Mary, they come to the tomb. Another group of women were scheduled to meet the two Marys at the tomb. Peter and John arrive after being summoned by Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene had went to the tomb. Jesus is not there. So she runs and tells Peter and John, uh, we've lost the king of glory. He's no longer in the tomb. So she goes and she tells him that, hey, something has went on. I don't know where the king's at. And so they're going to run to the tomb. Jesus makes his first appearance to Mary Magdalene after Peter and John had left. They had come, they'd seen, and he wasn't there. Jesus then appears to other women who had come to the tomb. The women, joined by Mary Magdalene, report their meeting with Jesus to the disciples. The Roman guards report what they had witnessed to the chief priests. Jesus appears to two disciples on the road to Emmaus. He goes and asks them, what are you guys doing and what are you looking for? These two disciples make a report to the apostles of what went on. Then Jesus appears to the ten apostles. Now how you get all this is you take Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and guys who go to school for this kind of stuff, they kind of harmonize it, what they call it. They put all these events together and say this is what happened on that first day. The disciples had locked the doors, fearful of that the Jews might plot against them and arrest them. Jesus appears to the ten apostles. Thomas is absent. But they presume Jesus is a ghost. He encourages them to look at his hands, feet, side. He insists that they touch them. But they still not convince the apostles that he's really risen. He eats with them and the reality of the resurrection registers with them. They overjoyed. And then Jesus breathes on them the Holy Spirit. A very hectic, frightening, and confusing day for all concerned on this event. Yet I believe on this day Jesus does three things to help the apostles in the situation. The first thing he does is he comes into their presence. They were scared, confused, and not sure what was going on. The door was shut. Jesus opens the door and he comes in and he speaks with the disciples. I believe when Jesus opened that door and walked to talk to the disciples, he was standing between good and evil. 
where they were at. They were scared that they were going to get killed. Jesus opens the door and says, I'm going to stand between evil that you think you're going to experience and where you're at. Jesus stands between evil with us, too, when he died on the cross. We were separated from God. We were alienated from God. And he says, I will stand where you cannot stand. So he comes in and says, don't you worry about that. I've overcome them. I've overcome what they're going to do to you. I have risen from the dead. Also, Jesus opened the door to say to them, I believe, to say to them, it's okay. What would be okay? It's okay that you forsook me. You said you was going to love me to the end. You said you would follow me everywhere. But look at you now. You've ran behind these doors, and you're not a disciple. You're not a true follower. You really don't love me. That's what I would be thinking. I don't want to see you. I don't want to talk to you. I let you down. Jesus opens the door and says, hey, everything's going to be all right. I'm here. I love you. Don't allow these feelings and what you're thinking think. That changes my relationship to you. I will never leave you or forsake you. In this, he shows him his hands and his side. He says, here, look at me. I have risen from the dead. I'm really here. Jesus does the same thing for us. His presence comes into our lives, I believe, in two ways that he opens the door for us. First of all, I believe his presence is here through communion. When we meet here next week and we receive communion... The body, the bread, right? The blood, the juice. We come and we remember what he done on the cross. And every communion Sunday, we look here and say, this is what you've done for me. Communion Sunday should always should be a special service in our hearts and in our lives, remembering what the King of Glory had done, how he changed our lives, how he made us new. He comes to us through communion. But his presence is always manifested in his word. It's in the word of God. Search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. And they are they which testify of me. We come into his presence when we crack that word open. And allow that word to speak to our hearts. The second thing Jesus did is that he grants them peace. Peace of mind, quietness, or rest. Don't you think their minds were frantic running around? Our king has been killed. Something bad has happened. He's not in the tomb. You're telling me you don't know where he's at. It's chaotic all around him. Their mind had to be running a thousand miles an hour. Their spirit had to be restless. What were they going to do? They put their whole life in stock in this man, believing he was the king of glory, and now he's not there. Somebody has done something with this body. We are discontent with our lives. And Jesus says... Peace. I give you peace. Peter and John went to the tomb in a panic because of what Mary Magdalene had told him. He's not here. Jesus was not there. All they saw was the linen, the cloth lying in its place separate from the linen. The disciples went back to where they were staying and hid in a room behind the locked door. They had just seen their Savior, the one who they said they left everything to follow, put to death. Hiding in fear behind a locked door, unsure of what really happened to Jesus' body, Jesus appears, and the first word he says to them is, Peace be unto you. The disciples would need peace. First, they would need peace to address fear. What's the main fear? Jesus is not around. Who's going to protect me? The king is gone. 
I can't go back out in public now. I'm left on my own. We are without the king of glory. Fear of being captured for their faith. You're a follower of him. You said you loved him. You said you was going to serve him and do what he asked you to do. And he's not here anymore. What are you going to do about that? Fear of being unable to fulfill the call of God on their life. They would need peace to get through every challenge. What challenges did they have? First of all, the challenge of believing that he really was alive. We've seen a ghost. He says, no, look at my hands. Look at my side. Thomas, touch me. Feel me. Know that I'm real. Know that I'm true. Challenge of remembering and preaching all that Jesus had taught. I don't know how you guys are, but the way I got through grade school and high school, when it comes test time, I would remember, memorize it. I memorize it right to every little dot, comma. But when I was done with that test, it was out the window. All I cared about was the moment. I'm never going to have to use this again. Why do I need to remember it? Don't you think Jesus was throwing a lot at them all in three and a half years? He was letting them have it with the word of what it means to be his father. There's no way they could have remembered all of that. That would be a challenge to anybody to remember what Christ was saying to his people. The challenge of being rejected by those once considered friends. Other fishermen that was around them. That maybe let them use their net or use a piece of their water sometimes. Says, hey, you ain't fishing over here no more. You ain't using my net because you followed that man. Who said he was God and he wasn't God. And they would say I thought you was my friend. I ain't your friend. They was going to lose friends and family left and right. But this is what Jesus says. I've come to set father against son. Mother against daughter. It ain't all happy willy nilly man. When you get saved you can't run back home to people who ain't saved. Say, Guess what? I accepted Jesus Christ as my savior. The first thing they're going to say is well you don't like to have fun. There goes our drinking. There goes our party time. There goes our cursing. Everything we enjoy about life is now done because you said you become a Christian. Everybody you thought was your bud may not be your bud anymore. They was going to be rejected by those once considered friends. They would need peace to fulfill God's purpose in their lives. This is what Jesus says. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Whoever sins you remit, they are remitted. Whoever sins you retain, they are retained. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. That's going to be hard to fulfill if your mind is tore up and you're all out of whack in your spiritual life. But Jesus says, I give you Peace to fulfill the call of God on your lives. I think this morning that you and I need peace. We need peace with God. If we have sinned against him, just to say, hey, man, I messed up. I've sinned against you, and I don't feel right on the inside. God, through Christ Jesus, gives us peace. I think we need peace as a body of believers. How we handle one another in the church. How we work through our situations. Work through our trials and work through our struggles. We're going to need peace as we go through the process of maybe leaving the church of the brethren. We need God's peace in our lives to help us wherever we're at. We need the peace of God. Fear. What are we fearful for? Challenges. What challenges do we have in our lives? 
We're going all through all kinds of challenges here as a body of Christ. You got a new preacher. You got a new way that he speaks. He's loud. He screams. He don't say nothing. He turns his head this way. I can't hear him. Right? I got a new congregation. I, I, you know, I'm just getting to know you. So do we not have challenges in how we relate to each other? And we got to move as one? We need God's peace to help us through the challenges that we have. And we're going to have challenges when we have the vote. I guarantee it. When those cats come and sit right here, somebody's going to have to stay calm. I'm serious. We have challenges. But we also have challenges that if we do break and we do go away, it ain't like it's going to be an exciting time. The body of Christ is broken. The body of Christ is hurt. His church is splitting. That's no time to be happy or excited when his church splits over his lordship or who he is. That's going to be a challenge. But we need the peace of God to say, touch us, help us, lead us, and guide us that we meet the challenge you're calling us to do. Then we need this peace to serve his purpose. What is going to be our purpose? Pastor Brody laid out an excellent vision for the church. Jesus is alive. And it is defined how Jesus was alive. In every aspect of your life, in every aspect of this church, he defined what it meant for Jesus to be alive. That's our purpose. He laid it out. The congregation accepted it. That was what was laid on his heart by God. You guys said, yes, he is alive. Now we have the responsibility to live that vision out. But the only way to do that is to have the peace of God to say, God, use us to live out your purpose. Thirdly, Jesus breathes on them the Holy Spirit. It is here that I want to focus the rest of my sermon this morning and to say, please don't get scared because I'm Pentecostal. I, please don't. All right. I do want to talk about the Holy Spirit. And I want to ask the question, is there a difference between John the Gospel of John and what we just read, and Luke's account in the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, what is the difference between these two accounts of being filled with the Holy Spirit? This is what Luke said in chapter 24 of the Gospel, verse 49. Jesus commands his disciples to wait in Jerusalem until they're filled with the Holy Spirit. This would happen on the Feast of Pentecost, which is 50 days after Passover. Jesus Christ was the Passover lamb slain from the foundation of the world. When he rose again, the next uh, holiday for the Jewish people to go to the temple would be what was known as the Feast of Pentecost. This would happen 50 days after the Passover was done. It was a harvest celebration. But John said Jesus breathed on them the Holy Spirit the evening of his resurrection on the first day of the week. Jesus has not went to the Father yet. So what is going on here? I believe being filled with the Holy Spirit foreshadowed the time to come on the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Now I'm going to just lay out three reasons why I believe this. First, in Acts chapter 1, verse 2, Jesus was with the apostles for 40 days teaching about the kingdom of God. He commanded them to wait in Jerusalem until they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, after he'd resurrected, he'd went 40 days preaching all over the place. The Bible says he appeared to 500 people during this 40 days. On the end of the 40th day in Acts, he's about to go to the Father, and he says, now you have to wait another 10 days because I'm going to send the promise of my Father. 
After this, they would preach the gospel from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. All of this is fulfilled in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. In our sermon text, only ten apostles were present. Judas had committed suicide, and Thomas was not there. It seems to me that John's account looks into the future of what was going to happen in their life in Christ. Second, John describes why Jesus breathed on him. He says why I'm doing this. As my Father has sent me, even so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive you the Holy Spirit. Whoever sins you remit, they are remitted unto them. Whoever sins you retained, they are retained. During this 40-day period while Jesus was teaching the apostles, they would have been out preaching the gospel. They would have been out saying, Christ has done this in our lives. He has changed this in our lives. But in Acts, they begin to speak in a foreign language. At least 16 languages are recorded, confessing the goodness and praise of God, preaching, teaching, performing miracles, turning the world upside down with their testimony. A whole new realm of power and courage were given to them on this day. Third, he says he breathed on them. The Greek word breathe is the same as used in the Old Testament when God breathed into Adam. Remember, Adam, he made, created Adam, but Adam laid there. He did not come alive until God breathed in him, and when he breathed in him, the Bible says he became a living soul. In our call to worship this morning, I used Ezekiel as a paraphrase. God says to Ezekiel, look out over these dry bones out here, Ezekiel. And he asked him, he says, can, he, can these bones live? Can they come to life? And Ezekiel says, only you know that. He was talking about Israel going into captivity and not being free anymore. And God says to Ezekiel, there's coming a day when these bones will come alive. I will put flesh on these bones. I will put life in these bones. And I will give these bones power. Ezekiel 39. Breathe into these slain and they shall live. By this he's saying they were to be made new in order to do what God had asked them to do. Now, the reason I say that is, look where they're at. They're scared. They're nervous. They're hiding. Jesus first comes into their presence and says, I'm here. I'm alive. Well, I can tell you Jesus is alive. They don't change your insides, does it? You can tell me he's alive, but when I'm in a bad situation, I don't want to hear it. Because on the inside, I'm feeling something different. So he, he comes into their presence, and then he says, touch me. And then he says, peace be unto you. Quiet your minds, quiet your hearts. I'm going to take care of you. And then the Bible says he breathes on him and he makes them new. He refreshes their hearts and he refreshes their souls to say, yes, you are risen. Yes, you are alive. Something has changed in me. I know that you're God and I know that you're king and I know that you're Lord. So Jesus touched him in a special way way and even though i believe john's telling of this feeling of the holy spirit looks into the future there's one thing consistent in the bible but particularly in the new testament about the holy spirit and that is the idea of being filled from today until pentecost sunday may 28 i will speak on the role of the holy spirit in our lives and before i scare you to death here's ultimately what i believe about the holy spirit in our lives this is what I truly believe in my heart, what I think God means when he says to be filled with the Spirit. 
But before I read that scripture, I do want to tell you, I hope we're all filled with the spirit of the living God. That when we're teaching Sunday school, children's church, when we're greeting at the door, when we're doing the sound system, when we're counting the money, when we're cleaning the church, when we're fixing up the church, when we're singing in the choir, when we're leading worship, whatever we do, we do by the Holy Spirit in us, calling us, guiding us, leading us, convicting us, and making us new. When he does that, the world will be changed. Here's what it means to be filled, and this is my prayer until Pentecost Sunday for our congregation. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual song, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. You want to be filled with the Spirit of the living God? Sing to Him. Praise Him. Worship Him. Give Him the glory due His name. Lift him up, magnify him. When you're going to work, listen to them at good old Christian music where God and Jesus Christ is lifted up, where it takes your mind into a good place. I'm not saying you can listen to whatever you want to, but don't, when you listen to godly Christian music, don't take your mind into a good, wholesome place. You remember what God's done in your life, right? When I listen to my country music, right, it takes me back to going and drinking with my buddy in eighth grade. I don't want to go there no more. And I'm not saying music is bad. Listen to what the heart of what I'm saying. How do you make melody in your hearts to the Lord if your mind is not in it? If your heart is not in it? If you are not in it? He says, this is what you should do. Sing these songs and spiritual hymns. Singing and making melody in your heart. When you and I do that, everything around us changes. Our whole perspective changes. Our life changes. And then we'll truly be like the early disciples. So they said... They've turned the world upside down with their goofy style of preaching. Why? Because Christ came into them and he stood between good and evil. His presence was with them. He showed them who he truly was. He gave them peace. And then he filled them with the spirit and said, go do my work. May God use us to do his work with everything we are. Everything about us, may he be glorified in every aspect of our eyes. Sing and make melody to him. And that in your heart is what it is to be filled with the spirit of the living God. Allow him to use you for his glory and his honor. Let us pray this morning. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. That even when the disciples did seem to mess everything up and they wanted to run from you and be away from you, you cracked that door open and said, don't worry about it, fellas. Stay calm. I'm here. I'm with you. And most importantly, you told them that you loved them. No matter what they were experiencing or feeling or going through, you said, I love you. What a statement to make to people that turned on you, God, that you loved us that much. But then you gave them peace, Lord. Peace that passes all understanding. And I know we have that peace in our hearts and continue to breathe on us your peace, the peace of God. And then you breathed on them newness of life, encouragement to follow your will and to do your purpose. May God, through this 50-day journey, we pray your will be done in our lives. May we draw closer to Jesus and you grant us your Holy Spirit. Work through us, work in us, Lord, that you might be glorified. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.